Welcome back to Becky Well Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. And joining us now is Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, host of the Odyssey original podcast, In the Huddle, with Brian Baldinger and Carl Dukes, covering the entire NFL. And it's not just uh, JLC here. Uh, who's your little friend there? This is Copper. You could call him Chopper. You could call him many things. Chop House. Uh, he's got a lot of nicknames and his <laughs> sister, Gigi. Now I think she wants in, but she'll be okay outside. You hiding your face, Chappie? That's okay. We only went 500 yesterday. So he's a little, he's a little down on me. I didn't bring home enough dog food yesterday. You get him <laughs> <one> nice <time. laughs> Overall 500 day. He's like, yeah, I'm not showing my face for that. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, well, Copper's a good boy. That we do know. So that that's important. And I'm curious what you and Copper think about the Baltimore Ravens after another impressive performance uh, this time against <laughs> a good Seattle Seahawks team. Yeah. Do you feel like that the Ravens have proven themselves to be the best team in the NFL? I, I mean, they're certainly in that conversation. Um, what they've done the last two home games against Teams that I, you know, look, I, I was not nearly as high on Seattle as Detroit, but still they, they, they came in here having played uh, two teams in this division tough, right? They found a way to come back and beat the Browns, who I don't think are very good, but they keep winning games. And they should have beat the Bengals in Cincinnati, which is no small accomplishment as the Buffalo Bills. So those were like, you know, knockdown, drag out, slugfest, a lot of field goals, a lot of trouble for both teams finishing drives, all that stuff. And this was that for a eh, quarter and a third, you know? And then the Ravens' superiority started to show and manifest itself, and it never stopped. And in that regard, it was like the Lions game. It wasn't like, you know, 21 nothing after three possessions like the Lions game, but it was just as comprehensive of a beatdown. So, yeah, I, I mean – their biggest problem is probably self-induced errors that stop their own offensive momentum and stop their own offensive drives. It's a combination of like incredibly ill-timed um, fumbles, mostly fumbles because Lamar's not throwing picks. He, he, it's fumbles. Mm-hmm. And then that has manifested itself in letting the other team stay on the field longer in some critical situations than they should, like the Steelers game, like the Colts game. And then this defense does have a tendency to melt down in the fourth quarter, which we just saw a week ago in Arizona where they allowed a team that had seven points all season in the fourth quarter to put up 17 on 175 yards. 175 yards the Arizona Cardinals had in the fourth quarter alone Mm. against the vaunted Ravens. So there's some blemishes, but, I mean, compared to the field, right? I mean, most fan bases would sign up for that. Um And right now they're in an incredibly rich vein of form and the defense is basically the best on the planet since last November 1st when they acquired Roquan Smith. And the offense under Todd Munkin is moving at a different pace. And while it's not the downfield attack that I think some people are hoping it becomes, Lamar Jackson has leaned into high percentage, uber efficient passing outside the hash marks in a way that he never did before. And his ability to be a point guard, I think it was another week where nine different guys, I think, caught balls. Like, that's becoming the norm. He is becoming um, a super quick um, processing of information and delivering of the ball, point guard, quarterback, which is 
not really what this whole thing was under Greg Roman. Sunday Night Football, Bengals over the Bills. Did that change anything for you, or were you already there on the Bengals? And then, of course, uh, there's the Bills slide one and three away from home. Yeah, I mean, this this went um, honestly like I thought it would, except for Cincinnati not getting to 27 points. Um, I like the Bengals at minus three early in the week. I loved them and played them at one, and it got down to one and a half. And when it settled at two before kickoff, I was fine with laying that as well. Um, I like the Bengals to get over their team total, but I didn't think the Bills could compete with them. I didn't think the Bills would do their, their part and get to their 24. So I like the under for the game. I, I like Cincinnati to score at least 28. Into the 30s wouldn't have shocked me. And I thought the Bills were going to have difficulty getting above 20 themselves. I thought Kincaid would have a big game. I, I, I played a lot of alt props on Josh Allen up to 40 yards, which thankfully he got to 44. Josh Allen is the Bills' first touchdown scorer. That's kind of baked into their cake. Now, it wasn't going to be the first touchdown mm-hmm. scorer in this game because Cincinnati's early script, you know, you have to worry about the Bills when they're playing a real offensive team. Uh, I just didn't think Buffalo without Milano, you know, without their two best D tackles, with, you know, without their best corner and Russell Douglas just getting there. You know, I love Burrow to go over the two – I played it early in the week at 266, but in a lot of alt markets, I played that up to 277, 285, um, and he cruised over that. So, um, no, not much about that game, honestly – surprised me um and I think the Cincinnati Bengals this is what they do this is their time of the year and especially at home in a spot like that with Burr you know I thought Burrow would go to get over 12 and a half rushing yards he didn't you know so I, I was off on that but um and they're they're getting mixed into like it's not great but it's enough that you if you sit back and play cover two right and you have those two deep safeties then Joe Burrow is going to check into a run and it's not going to be great every time, but it's going to be good enough, enough times to where you have to respect it more than you did in the beginning of the year when the quarterback couldn't move and there was no threat of play action and this offensive line hadn't gelled yet. I want to ask you about the commanders. They go into New England and win by three points. Bill Belichick asked this morning on EEI if he's coaching for his job, and he said he's just focused he on the Colts right now. <laughs> but I, I'm glad I didn't have to ask that question. But I'm, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And also, Ron Rivera, I mean, the job that he's doing, and then he seems to think that Sam Howell is the guy. So I guess it's a twofold question on both sides yeah. here. Well, I think the Belichick thing is over, and I think he knows it and they know it. And there'll be a mutual parting of the ways. And it doesn't matter when he signed his last contract extension or what's written on the paper because they he's provided them with the most amazing – well, and, and look, there's more Brady than him, but whatever. It goes on his record too. He has authored as a coach and lead football executive the greatest run of superior play that we will ever see in the salary cap era. So – if he wants to walk, they're going to let him walk. And in their heart of hearts, they'd rather him walk than them have to fire him or say you could stay, but you're coaching and somebody else is picking the players. Like, I just think Bob Kraft, after it getting as messy as it did with Brady, that this is everybody knows where this is headed. Um, and I hear a lot of rumors about him wanting Washington. I've heard a lot of rumors about Belichick being very interested in Chicago. Um, uh, 
I think him breaking Shula's record in Foxborough isn't the end all and be all for him. And who's going to give him the kind of control he's used to? Because I'm not sure he's going to see that. You know, as to Ron Rivera, there are certainly a lot of people in that building who believe in Sam Howe, a lot of whom would have played Sam Howe a lot sooner last year than Ron Rivera finally did. So if Ron Rivera is trying to take a victory lap about Sam Howe, that's pretty rich because he waited way too long to play him in the first place. The way he went back to Wentz and the way he talked about going back to Wentz had people throwing up in their shoes in that building. Um, And he has managed to stick his foot in his mouth more than most thought uh, was reasonable for even a bad NFL coach. So um, I can't imagine that ownership is going to hitch their wagon to Ron Rivera in any way, shape, or form, even if Rivera now tries to hitch his to Sam Howe. Um, And I do think that whether they keep that whole front office intact or not, that there'll be people who are able to leave memos and documents and, um, you know, have conversations with that owner about what it could look like building a good football team around Sam Howe. They obviously need a lot of help on the offensive line. There's no two ways about that. They tried to build it one way through the D-line. It didn't work, right? But is Sam Howe enough of a runaround, interesting you know, he's got enough improvisation. It's not the greatest um, athletic, right, skill set. It's not the biggest arm in the world. But, like, is this a, a better version of what they did with Heineke that at least got them to the playoffs? Like, there, there's a case to be made that with a little bit of protection, you know, maybe you're winning 33-30, right? It's not going to be that thing they thought they were building in the trenches. You know, although you hit on one pass rusher and you've got the two D tackles, and, and, and there's nowhere to – and you get yourself a real defensive coordinator, right, not Jack Del Rio. And things could change, you know, relatively quickly <laughs> on that side of the ball as well. I, I believe in Sam Howe. There's enough smart people in this league whose evaluations I've trusted over 20 years who think the kid can win games in this league. Is he going to win you a Super Bowl? No. You know, if you build a, a 49ers team around him, can he be your Brock Purdy? I think so. But they've got a ways to go in the talent, especially because Purdy's got the left tackle that Sam Howe should have had. Yeah. And also work on those sacks. That, that might be an important detail when it comes to, to Sam. Well, I, I think when you trust your protection and you know that, you know, a timing, rhythm, tempo uh-huh. offense, you can actually, the ball's coming out, you know what I mean, on two Mississippi. You you, you trust that you're going to have two Mississippi, not that you're going to have to buy four Mississippi to try to make something off script. You know, yeah, he, he's got to speed up his clock, absolutely. Um, but but the, some of the, the – the sack differential is a joke on that football team. I'll just leave it at that. Halfway point of the season, who is the most valuable player? And do you feel like the wow. indicators for MVP are the same this season than in seasons past? Or maybe is this year different as far as what we're looking for, what voters are yeah. looking for when it comes to who the best player is? It could be a little more off the grid because of what we you know, experienced at the quarterback position, Mahomes is going to be graded, and I think rightfully so, against the best of Mahomes. And this is this ain't even in, you know, like this ain't this ain't a Mahomes one for the ages season. Now, mm-hmm. could he turn it on in the second half and hit another level? And sure, but you're talking right now. So, you know, most years I'd start with Mahomes and then look at the field. Right now I'm looking at the field over Mahomes. I'm working on something right now for the Washington Post, talking to some people about Tua. Like, he's great in that system. He's a very good quarterback. Is is he an MVP? No. And the last the last four weeks have not looked like the first five weeks for him or that offense. You know, so I think there's some slippage there. 
you know, the, the A.J. Brown thing interests me some, although all it takes is a couple games like last night, right, where he dominates for the first half, doesn't get the same target share in the second half because they're trying to take him away at all costs. And then he's a really nice game and whatever it was, you know, seven of eight for 66 or whatever, but you're now no longer have that streak going. You know, how, how dependent, you know, is he on that? Um, you know, McCaffrey – I think he probably still could, right? If he keeps getting two touchdowns a game and they look better in the second half, like, um, and people realize that, you know, it, it's it's all the stuff around Purdy, probably a little more than Purdy at this point in his career, you know, and they get Trent Williams back, which makes McCaffrey a better player. You know, I, I could I could lean into something like that. You know, the the Ravens who we opened this with, and maybe they are the best team in football right now, and I think Lamar Jackson is certainly one of the three best quarterbacks on the planet, but the touchdown passing numbers just, they aren't going to be there. And even now, Gus, Gus Edwards is getting a lot of those carries that Lamar got. I mean, Lamar about three weeks ago looked like he was on pace to obliterate his career rushing touchdown total because he was getting more red zone uh, runs than he had in recent years. But now those are going to Gus. So I, I, I don't know, you know, that the number, the eye test would tell you, man, this guy is another level. I, I'm not sure the numbers will be there. Uh, Jason, what do we do with the uh, the top of the NFC? Yesterday, Eagles over the Cowboys. Eagles 8-1, and one, but all observers understand this is not the best of the Eagles team that we've seen. And then right. yesterday, the Niners don't play. The Lions don't play. Seahawks get smashed over at Baltimore. What, what do you think of the top of the NFC? Is it a group of teams? Is it the Eagles by themselves or what? I, I think you have to put the Eagles on another level. Um, I mean, how many regular season games have they lost the last two years? Like, yeah, three. How many? Is it four? Is it even four? <laughs> you know, and, and let's 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 take out. Let's drill down further. Not you know the games where they're playing hurts, but he's not throwing the ball, and then they shut him down for three weeks. Like, how many regular season games do they lose when Hurts plays? Not a whole lot. So, and they have a playoff pedigree as well. And I think they will get a little healthier and get a little better. And, you know, you got key pieces like Bayard who just got there. Now, the state of their secondary, we'll have to see, right? They're, they lost some guys, but they're in a different tier for me. And then I, I still like the Lions, and we'll have to see about San Francisco's injury. Good stuff, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. That was Odyssey and NFL insider Jason Lockenfora. Make sure to follow In the Huddle on the Odyssey app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, believe it or not, the college hoop season starts today. Jim Root from Three Man Weave joins us for a crash course on the new season. That's right here on the BetQL Network. BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, with Joe Ostrowski, Ed Egros, and Aaron Hawksworth, from BetQL. Run it out, and it's in the hands of the coach's son. How about that? Is that appropriate? Oh, don't you know, just someday he'll be a coach of his own program. <laughs> this is becoming a family dynasty, if you will. And that's what 
Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. And folks, the college basketball season is upon us. And joining us now to talk about it is Jim Root from the Three Man Weave Podcast. Jim, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. So UConn wins the national championship last season. They are currently 20 to 1 at BetMGM to win the Natty this go-round. Do you feel like there's value betting on UConn to repeat? I'm I'm kind of out on it, unfortunately, especially at that price, um, kind of priced right around top five type of team. I, I think we're going to see that the, the the losses that they took from the roster perspective last year are going to catch up to them. I mean, Sonogo was the most outstanding player in the tournament, but even he's not the one I'm most worried about. To, to me, it's Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins, maybe the best wing duo in the entire country last year, arguably. Uh, Hawkins was an elite off the uh, off of movement shooter. And that drew a lot of attention and kind of opened things up for their interior game. And then Jackson was just a do-everything winner. You know, maybe the best perimeter defender in the country, always in the right place at the right time, a great passer. They just figured out how to use him as a Swiss Army knife. And, you know, they've got some potential replacements. Uh, Cam Spencer as the shooter for Hawkins and then Stefan Castle, the freshman wing, coming in there for Andre Jackson. I just don't think it's going to be quite the same degree of, you know, uh, incredible team that went I think undefeated against the spread in non-conference play last year not quite that level for UConn so I'm not I'm not buying the repeat at 20 to 1 this year yeah uh, most years I would say on average it ends up being a couple ones in there and then and then it's a mix of other seeds but last year you have UConn the four you had San Diego State of five another five in Miami you had a nine in there does that tell you anything or does it remind you about what madness is and how do we take that and project it out to this year? If anything, if you want to just look at it and isolate it and say it was a one-off and you didn't have a top three seed in any region come out or how do you, how do you view that? Well, from a, just a romantic perspective, I love it. I love the dark horses getting there and making <laughs> runs. It kind of gives, gives everybody hope heading into the year. You don't have to be elite to, to get to that point and be on basketball's biggest stage, it is kind of weirdly juxtaposed with the the previous, the 2022 tournament, where we had just Blue Blood Central. You know, Kansas, Duke, North mm-hmm. Carolina, and Villanova all there, uh, although Carolina was a, a much lower seed, so it wasn't all just uh, ones and twos. But I, I'm, I don't want to take too much from last year as a conclusion, but I do think the talent in the sport has started to distribute a little more as some of the top teams are looking more towards a transfer portal, some of the freshmen, the star freshmen are going to the G League Ignite or Overtime Elite or New Zealand in the NBL. Like, There's a lot of different options for some of these elite guys. So maybe the Blue Blood teams aren't as strong at the top. They're not coming up with, with all kinds of NBA talent. And so I think we saw that a little bit uh, in just kind of the, the confluence of all four of those teams and all four regions going to uh, somewhat of an underdog or, or a lower seed was uh, fun for uh, at least the one year. I don't want every year like that, but um, yeah. this year, just in terms of betting futures, it's given me a little more boost going after a couple of long shots, um, maybe that can trend back up or, or trend up late in the year and, and be strong come come the big dance and, and imitate that kind of a run and get to the final four. Well, speaking of futures and the big dance, we all know what happens to Purdue come that time of year. I'm curious how you rate Purdue and also Zach Eady, player of the year. You know, is this more wide open or is it his to win again? 
Yeah, so from a team perspective, Purdue, I'm I'm kind of buying them this year, especially in the regular season. I mean, that's kind of what they're built for. It, it does feel like teams that are built around a star center and giving him the ball struggle a little bit in, in the postseason. Purdue isn't as flexible as even somebody like Florida Atlantic, a nine seed makes the final four. Purdue can't play a bunch of different styles. It's really through Edie with their with their younger guards, and those guys should be better, Braden Smith and, and Fletcher Lawyer this year, but the flexibility or lack thereof is kind of what worries me about Purdue in, in the big dance from a, a wooden perspective or, or national player of the year. It's, it's tough to go against Edie because I do think they're going to be just dominant again, like top 10 floor for Purdue during the regular season. Like I just don't see them being bad with, with the core they return and his production is going to be way, way up there. You know, the, the double doubles jump off the page. He's still seemingly improving every year. You know, he's a relatively young basketball prospect he only started playing like seven years ago he's not some somebody that picked it up at age five so his defensive game is improving his free throw shooting took a big step up last year I, I think the only thing that would really get to him is voter fatigue and I think we see it a little bit in the MVP race in the NBA sometimes where all right the guy won last year I think this kind of happened with Giannis and then with Jokic when they didn't win in the playoffs during their NBA or MVP year people were hesitant to to, to vote for them the next year I could see that happening to Edie a little bit where people kind of roll their eyes at the production and be like, well, they lost to a 16 last year. Do we really trust this guy to be the national player of the year? The problem is finding the guy that's going to take it from him. I, I don't totally buy Hunter Dickinson in that spot. Uh, Kyle no. Filipowski, maybe, but he's coming off the two hip surgeries for Duke. So that's a concern. That's more my issue is I can't find the right viable candidate to go against uh, Edie's campaign, but I think it's priced relatively correctly right now where I'm not jumping on or seeing any awesome value in the, in the national player of the year market. Jim, the public loves the Kansas Jayhawks. They have the highest ticket handle per bet MGM at 13.8% highest money handle, uh, 16.8% here. Tell us about Kansas and why they could be a contender for the title. Well, I've got the Mizzou flag behind me, so you're, you know, kind of twisting the knife talking about the arch rival and how good they I are. Do. But no, I, I, I can, uh, I can put the bias aside and acknowledge that Bill Self is probably the best college basketball coach right now, active. Um, he, he just has been able to make it work and win big with all different kinds of rosters. You know, he's played four out, he's played a lot of small teams, he's played two bigs and gone high low to score, and that seems like what they're going to have to do more with uh, this year with Dickinson featuring him on the block and then playing K.J. Adams alongside him. The questions with Kansas arise with half-court scoring and, and spacing. because They don't have a ton of shooting. They don't have a lot of wing dynamism. Like Kevin McCuller is arguably their, their best scoring wing. And he's more of a versatile defender, good passer. I, I don't like him as a featured scorer. So they're really highly leveraged on freshman El Marco Jackson and, and Nick Timberlake, a transfer from Towson. They need those guys to kind of bolster the offense, gives them, give them some spacing, some room for Dickinson to work inside. It, Kansas is a really safe bet to be great. I just don't know that they're going to have the same kind of success in the postseason without uh, the Agbaji or Christian Brown or, or uh, Jalen Wilson types on the wing. There are more mismatches and tougher to prepare for because it's just individual talent. Uh, I could see this being a Kansas team that goes – you know, 30 and five gets a one seed, but then leaves in the sweet 16 because they just don't have the, the offensive spacing and they meet somebody that's a little more dynamic than them on the opposite end of the floor. The madness is the madness. 
But uh, what what's a futures bet right now that you're going to be thinking about all year long, where, where you're bragging to people like, "Yeah, I got it at 50," and and right now it's it's 10 to one, and everybody's talking about them, and it's too late. You don't have my 50. I don't know what's going to happen once we get to March, but but what's uh what's a future play that uh, that you think it's a pretty good idea to uh, to grab right now? Yeah, the the price I have that, that probably isn't it's definitely not out there anymore is Michigan State forty to one, but that's not really helpful to tell people. So I'll move away from that. And the, the one I love is Creighton, uh, thirty thirty five mm. to one. I'm not sure exactly what you can find in the market, but it's right around there. They're my pick to be national runner up. I, I think this team is going to be better than last year, despite the losses of Nemhard and Kaluma to the portal. There's been some whispers that maybe their chemistry clashes last year. Um, and Kaluma just wasn't a very good offensive player, but was really high usage. And I like what they brought in to replace those guys. Steven Ashworth is a big-time shooter from Utah State, what was a key player for an NCAA tournament team last year. You slide him in there next to Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, Ryan Kalkbrenner. I think Kalkbrenner and Alexander can both be All-Americans this year. It, the team just kind of makes sense to me. They've got three playmakers on the perimeter, guys that can all shoot or, or pass. Kalkbrenner owns the paint on both ends. It just hinges on whether they can find a guy at that four spot. Uh, Isaac Trout, the Virginia transfer, Mason Miller, who is Mike Miller's kid, and is is a guy that has needed to add weight, uh, but he's a shooter and, and can offer something there. I think Creighton's going to ascend and be top five, and you know, like you said, could be sitting there at like ten to one, fifteen to one entering the tournament, whereas right now it's thirty to one. So I, I think the Blue Jays are definitely a buy right now. What other markets do you have futures in where there might be some value? Do you get involved with like just to make the final four or do you stay away from that? Or do you find, you know, there is some value there. That can be a good market. Um, I wish they opened it earlier. They should kind of wait for all the, the title bets to come in and almost sets the market for them. So the, the final four, maybe not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have as much value, but I think somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, like an a 10 team like Dayton, if you're really high in them or, or St. Bonaventure's a long shot. I mean, look at last year with, with FAU. I have no idea what they would have been priced preseason to make the Final Four, but it would have been ludicrous. Uh, up in the clouds, people would have thought you were crazy for even thinking about it. Uh, so I, that that's where you can take maybe a little more of a, a long shot stab. Uh, one team I love there is Texas Tech. Uh, they're, I think, 200 to 1 at one book, and that's to win the title. But if you can get them around 40 or 50 to 1 to make the Final Four, I love that. Love the coach they hired from North Texas, Grant McCasland one of the best defensive minds in the country. And he did a really good job in the portal getting some guys that fit his scheme. And I think they've got enough offensive pop. And I use pop as a great pun because their best scorer is Pop Isaacs, uh, their, their point guard, slash shooting <laughs> guard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know. It's, it's cringeworthy, but I got to do it. Um, he had 30 in their exhibition game. Uh, and I, I think he's going to give them that, that scoring edge. To go with the defense, it's going to be great. So Texas Tech, uh, a power conference long shot there. And then I, I do look at some of the conference uh, futures markets as well. Uh, there's, I think BetMGM's got a, a bunch of good numbers. I think they have every uh, conference out there. So you can kind of dive in and find some there. One I love is McNeese State to win the Southland. It's like plus 175 was the last price I saw, but I, I think they're going to be head and shoulders above the league. They hired Will Wade, former LSU coach. Uh, he's suspended for non-conference, but during league play, he'll be back. And they they did incredible in the transfer portable, portal, really cleaned up. So I, I think McNeese State to win Southland is a good bet there. 
See, I was going to tail you with the whole Grant McCaslin thing because he is a phenomenal coach. Got to meet him several times. Like, I always felt smarter being around him. Then you made the pop pun, and now I can't even think about that anymore. So Yeah, so that's, yeah I get it. I, I, I just <laughs> – I, uh, I buried myself with that one. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, how much do you bet into, say, early season tournaments like the Maui Invitational, ESPN Invitational, Battle for Atlantis, things like that? I've got a couple small, small future bets in there where I just thought the price was a little off the market, but but typically not a ton. Um, and especially as that Feast Week rolls around game by game, in my experience, those results are a little more random than, than your, your typical uh, schedule or, or typical week's. Uh, it's you know teams are out of their element they're all staying at hotels in a paradise some teams take to that better than others uh, there's quicker turnarounds so the coaches have less time to prepare in those so not a ton um, I, I think I got a, a decent Marquette ticket in Maui but that field is absolutely loaded uh, with Purdue and Kansas and Tennessee and, and all kinds of great teams so uh, I, I just was kind of hoping to get a, a longer price and got an okay one there with Marquette and then FAU to win their event. I think it's the ESPN events invitational uh, is a decent one too. If you can get them around like two and a half or three to one. Uh, I think that's a decent bet too, because like I said earlier, they're really adaptable and they're a good tournament team. They can play different styles, can win a grinder, they can win a, a shootout. So I think FAU is a, a decent bet there if you find a good price on them. Jim, what about today? We don't have any uh, matchups where you have ranked teams going at it, but uh, what what about some bets uh, that you like? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really big spreads here. A lot of you know teams yeah. playing by games at home, trying to to get that first win, cushion that record to a one and zero to start the year. Uh, one of those that I like is Tennessee. Uh, I think they're just built to blow teams out. Super athletic, but they added some scoring, and they're taking on Tennessee Tech, who. Boy, they had a bad preseason. They lost to an NAIA team, Tennessee Southern, and then they lost to Austin P by 39 in an exhibition game. So this team is clearly uh, capable of being blown out. They've got point guard injuries, and Tennessee is a team that can really smash. So I, I think, you know, up as long as you can get under 30, I think that's a decent bet. Now, shifting away from that, a much closer, better matchup, uh, South Dakota State and Akron. These two teams played last year to start the year. Uh, Akron won by one in an overtime game where their point guard hit eight threes. That point guard is gone. South Dakota State brings almost everybody back, uh, and they're hosting this one. I, I think they're going to have a little re revenge on the mind, and obviously, you know, spread a one and a half. You only really need to win the game. Uh, you could could go for money line if you wanted to, but I feel okay laying the one and a half. Uh, South Dakota State was pretty young last year. They got more experience. Like I said, the revenge angle. I, I think that works. I think minus one and a half is a nice play there. Jim Root from the Three Man Weave podcast. Thank you so much for your time. We enjoyed it. Of course. Appreciate you having me. Always good to talk hoops. Absolutely. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we dive into our plays for Monday Night Football, Chargers and Jets. That's right here on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, with Joe Ostrowski, Ed Egros, and Aaron Hawksworth on the BetQL Network. Right. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, Ed Egros, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. Let's jump right on in. Chargers at the Jets. 
Chargers, three and a half point favorites on the road. Total of 39 and a half. Total has gone down just a smidge, Joe. What do you like here? All right. Uh, this, I, I like the dog. I do. And I feel like everyone likes the dog. So it scared me at three, three and a half. Uh, I was surprised, actually. I thought this would stay pretty solid at the number of three. But, yeah, that's that's where I'm at in this game. I, I was surprised to see the Chargers going on the road, laying more than a field goal. And what, what I look at the most in this matchup is let's look at the top quarterbacks that the Jets' defense has played, whether all their dudes on, on that defense are healthy or not. Remember, the win over Hurts a couple of weeks ago, the only win over Hurts this season, and that was without their starting cornerbacks uh, in, in Sauce and DJ Reed, but that was a turnover game. It was 4-0, the advantage Jets in the turnovers. When they played Mahomes, they lost by a field goal. Uh, KC 0 for 4 in the red zone in that game. Mahomes only threw for 203 yards, had a pair of picks. And, I mean, if we go back to Josh Allen, they won the game against Josh Allen in overtime. Turnovers were a factor once again. So, in one sense, you look at it and say, matchup-wise, they've done a great job against the top quarterbacks that they've played. But I'm also a little concerned because turnovers have come into play. And can we really predict that going into the matchup? But I, I still think it's a good spot at home, getting more than a field goal. Chargers have had their issues second halves of games. And I I don't know, were, are people overreacting to what they saw on Sunday night against the Bears? The Jets are a much, much tougher matchup as far as that goes. So I like the Jets too. Well, I did in the contest picks, but now I am tempted to go the other way just because it does seem really? popular. And we saw yeah. favorites do so well, but maybe that ends tonight. Oh um, yeah, it, it is hard to figure out this Chargers team. Don't like the head coach, so weird things are bound to happen. And it does seem like Herbert's getting healthier. Maybe they do go on a run. I'm kind of flip-flopping now. Maybe I'm just overanalyzing this game in terms of a side because I've had so much time to think about it. Um, but I like the Jets as underdogs. I, I'm probably – I mean, I already bet that last week, so I'll probably just stick to props. Chargers are – don't they tend to ha have good, like, first halves? Maybe there's a bet there. They have good first halves, bad mm. second halves. I mean, yeah. that's been going on for the entire Herbert era for years. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, and Jets have Jets are bad in the first half, too. But the Chargers are good, if you okay. want. Okay. I know people are going to bet into that. Um, yeah. Chargers' first half is minus two and a half. Uh, the places that offer second half, they have the Jets at plus one and a half. It's Chargers' hmm. first quarter. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're going to win the coin toss? We're going to get the ball first? Yeah. Yeah, right. That'd be tough. I've so, never done boy, breaking this first down quarter. to the lowest. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to go to bed I mean, early. It's like the Murphy Yurphy conversation all over again, only we're uh, oh. getting to first drive stats. Yeah. She wants yeah, to baseball go to bed isn't early. over. I get guys. it. I get it. Yeah, right. Yeah, for a game uh, like this, I don't blame you at all. Yeah. <laughs> Primetime <laughs> unders. That's a trend i mean do you want to take a look at that do you believe in that at all what are they 11 and no nine and one this year monday night football unders nine and one mm. uh primetime unders 21 and seven this season i mean it's just the year of the under in general 
and they they were nine and three going into this game. Mm-hmm. Now there's something there. I do not have a side or total in this game in large part because I, I think things are fairly sharp uh, projection mm-hmm. wise, you know, totals kind of now we're up to 40 again. So I, I don't really have a play there. I probably will just stick to props as well, Aaron. But when it comes to how to live bet a game like this, I do believe that, okay, we're talking about how the chargers do well in the first half and the jets do not. Well, let's say the shoe's on the other foot and the Jets get off to an early lead. I think if you're live betting this game, I am hammering the Jets going forward if they get out to a lead because I do not trust the Chargers to be able to make any kind of comeback whatsoever in large part because the Jets have the best defense when it comes to taking away deep passes of 20-plus air yards. And even though Justin Herbert has a rocket arm, for some reason that has just not been a part of the Chargers offense trying to throw it deep. Now, some of that is personnel. Some of that's a lack of trust with the receivers who might be able to, you know, go deep on vertical routes. It's going to be about quick passes, short passes, zero to nine air yards. That's largely what we're going to see from the Chargers. And so I think backing receivers, you think will get uh, targets that way. I think that's fine. But in a live betting situation, if the Jets get out to an early lead, I would start to hammer that early and often. Yeah. Uh, would you, if it starts that way, would you lay it with the Jets live? I would not. Like what? No. Okay. Um, I was curious about interception props because I'm tempted okay. on both sides. Both sides that have plus money. Herbert to throw a pick is plus 110. Zach Wilson to not throw an interception. This is the low, lowest uh, interception rate in his career. He's got one of the lowest interception rates in the NFL. Only one pick last five starts. Zach Wilson to not throw an interception is plus 123. Herbert to throw a pick is plus 110. Do you guys like either hmm. side? I kind of like both. <laughs> So go over them one, one more time. Just Herbert interception, yes, is plus money. To throw a pick is plus money, and Wilson okay. to not throw a pick is plus money. I like both plus money sides. The Wilson, I agree with you. That one, I'm totally yeah. in on. Like Wilson not to throw an interception because I don't know how many pass attempts he's going to have in a game like this in general. It's probably mm-hmm. going to be running and throwing it short, and it will allude to a prop I have a little bit later, Aaron, but. The idea, though, that Wilson is going to put the ball in harm's way against this kind of Chargers defense, I just don't see that happening. I think it's probably going to be a more conservative game plan by New York, and that's fine. Uh, And then on the other side, I'm I'm a little bit more torn about it, but definitely Wilson not to throw a pick. I would definitely be on board. Well, the Chargers give up the most passing yards out of any team in the NFL, which makes me think we'll be passing it more, right? Well, then even if you do, 297.4 per game they're giving up. Or, I mean, on average, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's context there in terms of game script and things like that. But I also think, okay, you know, keep things relatively conservative. Don't force the issue. Don't make mistakes because Herbert will make you pay for them. I I think this is going to be Wilson deking and dunking a good bit more, and there won't be interceptions in that regard. Yeah. And he hardly has any. I mean, one game he had three, 
against Dallas, mm-hmm. one against Denver, and one against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have any other player props like backs, quarterbacks, receivers? I, I looked up Palmer, but I only see touchdown numbers at this point. I don't see yards. I was curious what they were going to put uh, against the secondary. But uh, anybody like anything there? I'll be honest. I Not for me. I was just looking at the quarterback and reception props in the side. It's funny you mention that because I usually have like three to four props every primetime game and I'm having a hard (laughs) time finding anything I love. Mm -hmm. I've been looking a lot at Zach Wilson. I'm debating pulling the trigger on over 214 and a half passing yards. You want to go over that? Mm Mm-hmm. I I go on. Like, I don't think this personally. Chargers defense. I, I think you must be higher on the Chargers defense than I am. Not not really. Like I don't I don't okay. trust it that much. I think this is just going to be a low score. I mean, with a total of forty, yeah, it, that leads me to believe that this is just going to be a. I, I call it a boring game, but if this is a Brees Hall game, for instance, I wouldn't be surprised right. by that. If this is, you know, throwing it five yards every attempt, like I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson's air yards per attempt is like in the fours or fives. I think that makes a lot of sense. One of my favorite props here would be Tyler Conklin over two and a half receptions. Here's a tight end who hasn't had a whole lot of separation, unlike last year. But in a game like this, where maybe the Chargers game plan for Garrett Wilson a good bit more, okay, well, that means Conklin is a little bit more wide open. I'm just going to throw it to him and hope he can do something with a gack. I think that's the game plan for the Jets. And it's not going to be with a deep ball because, A, you don't trust Zach Wilson in that situation. And, B, you might be able to win a football game just by getting yards after the catch. Mm -hmm. Man. If if we look at red zone targets on the Jets side, Uh it's Wilson and only Wilson. He has 12. And the next highest on the team is three. So if, if they're going to score via the air, it's it's only it's only going to get looks to to Garrett Wilson, you would think. I mean, and it could be a Brees Hall game. I that that was something I considered. Now historically, we like to pick on the Chargers' run defense, but it's their pass defense that is getting them killed this season. So right, I mean, that, that Brees Hall number fifty seven and a half for the Brees Hall number. If you think they're going to end up sticking it sticking with the ground, uh, Garrett Wilson. Let's see. Anytime touchdown, it's two to one. I I thought that number would be worse. (laughs) Right. I actually do like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, the public, in terms of most bet on props, Brees Hall over 17 and a half receiving yards at minus 135. 99% of the bets are on the over. Don't we see Brees Hall also as a receiver here? Like in terms of rushing and receiving yards, you could see him going over his number, perhaps. That is a random prop to be very popular. Don't you I, think? Yeah, they saw him. They saw him have a huge. Wow. They've seen yeah. him have a couple of huge receiving games back to back. And by the way, I did just look at this. The Chargers, they've been surprisingly good against the run. Bottom five in yards allowed to backs through the air. So that's like, why. Be, okay. Yeah. That and that's the part that. I think matters here at the end of the day. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we turn the page to week 10 in the NFL. Our early thoughts on next week's slate. That's right here on the BetQL Network.